0: Hey guys, welcome to today's episode and we have Michael Collins and he has been completely sugar-free for over 30 years, which is very impressive. And he's been helping thousands successfully quit sugar for over nine years. He has a website called sugaraddiction.com and welcome Michael today.
1: Thanks for having me, Chantal. I really appreciate it.
0: Um, So I want us to talk about our title today is how to combine intermittent fasting with also beating your sugar addiction. So Mm. first, let's really talk about the first. Let's talk about sugar addiction. Yeah. How do you know that you are addicted to sugar? And or if you say, you know, you're one of those people that can eat three bites and really push it away.
1: Well, most of the folks that come, and most of the folks we work with, they, you know, the assessment is made by you. There is now a movement to get sugar addiction into the DSM-6, which is the diagnostic manual, whatever, for psychiatric diseases or, you know, maladies. But, you know, it's not there yet. In other words, like binge eating got put in last time. And this, you know, so science is moving forward, but there is a big move and sugar addiction, is uh, you know it's it's a constellation of different things. Like I believe that it's very similar. I mean, it, it ticks all the boxes for addiction. Um, you know, tolerance. Uh, when you use it, you know, you want more. All of the all of the qualifications for addiction are there. And to be honest, most folks real. I always say, if you ever get to sugaraddiction.com, you don't have to take the quiz. Because look, you probably know deep in your soul that you have an addiction to sugar. It's not like you're, uh, it's a mystery to you because A, you've tried many times to quit or cut back and with no success, right? Most of our folks have tried six or eight or 10 diets and they, you know, all of them involve quitting the white stuff or sugar and flour or whatever, and they just can't do it. And so, like I said, that, that meets all of the qualifications technically for addiction, but it is not technically In any diagnostic manuals just yet.
0: Awesome. So let's say that somebody is doing intermittent fasting and they say, you know, I'm doing great with intermittent fasting. Maybe they're eating in a six hour window, Mm -hmm. but now they feel like this is the one thing that's holding them back. So they, once they start eating sugar, it's like sugar, we got sugar, we got sugar. All they want to do is just eat more of it. Mm. So, you know, let's talk about kind of one. Let's talk about besides, you know, like, do you guys have categories, right? So like one category would be like candy, Skittles, uh, stuff like that. And Mm -hmm. one would be like, okay, fruit or white flour. Talk about how you break that up into categories.
1: Well, it's uh a... you know, people get, I get a lot of pushback on those categories, I call them borderline food sometimes. You know, obviously, like you said, we we have the blatant sugar products like candy and ice cream, and cookies, whatever. But then on the borderline, you have uh, oats, uh, rice, uh, uh, lots of fruit, fruit juice for sure, dried fruit, uh, these kinds of things, a lot of nuts. Uh, Uh, you know, these are things that people, a dairy, some dairy, like people can ingest these things uh, safely when they're getting off sugar. And then some people can't without setting up cravings. The bottom line is, is that if it creates, uh, you know, if it spikes your glucose, spikes your blood sugar, then, you know, you probably need to stay away from it. And you can do that by finger pricks or a continuous glucose monitor. You can figure it out because the sugar, you know, the sugar, uh, spike is going to want you. You know, eat, so let's just say you're eating a lot of brown rice or a lot of oatmeal or something, a lot of fruit notes or whatever. You're going to feel like you you want more. You're going to crave more. The neural pathways, literally, that have grooved and grooved in your brain um, have the two combined. It's like Pavlov's dogs, you know, wired together, fired together. You start to drink or eat some some uh, like just straight flour product, like a bagel or something then all of a sudden you know your mind says well, you know usually that's kind of combined with uh, cookies or cake or something and then you want the other so it's very difficult to do not to do both it's just really hard because the blood sugar elevation is going to start you craving on the 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 i call it straight sugar you know the fructose laden sugar and the fructose is where the problem lies right the fructose is what affects the nucleus accumbens, the brain reward chemicals. Uh, and the glucose only elevates the, the blood sugar, right? And so we all know what the blood sugar uh, does to our bodies the diabetes and all the heart disease. And, you know, they're calling Alzheimer's diabetes three. So we know what the, the glucose does. And for your audience, you know, glucose and fructose are half each half of the molecule, the sugar molecule. So. Yeah. I mean, there there is kind of a division of the two, but for the most part, you got to do both. You got to try and get off both to help you get off the weight stuff, the hard, I call it the hard stuff. <laughs> that,
0: that's a good analogy. I do want to mention Pavlov's dog for just a second. For those yeah. of you who don't know what that is, um, my girlfriend told me about it when we were on a walk a while mm-hmm. ago. She's actually a Christian counselor mm-hmm. and she had gotten a brand new puppy and she had Google different dog training techniques. And as she was browsing, she came upon the psychologist, uh, Evan Pavlov, who created this philosophy. But basically, he discovered a way to create external associations with food. So he'd mm-hmm. ring a bell, and every time he rang it, he'd give the dogs food. And eventually, the, the dogs learned to associate the sound of the chime with the expectation of food. And so the dogs would start drooling, right? Every time the bell rang, even though there was no food present. And so the analogy would be my, my favorite analogy that I talk about in my book is like my friend Mitchell, who he loves to eat when he sits in front of the TV. And so he literally, in fact, can't even sit at the TV without having a bowl of pretzels or popcorn. He's associated, okay, I'm sitting to watch TV. He's conditioned himself to associate sitting on the couch, watching TV and needing a snack. So let's talk about how to break that cycle where every time you sit on the couch, you kind of have to pause and say, okay, you know, what's the next step for him? Let's pretend it's sugar. Let's pretend that every time you go on the couch, you have maybe I, I hear people saying a bowl of ice cream or Skittles or amadunes, sure. whatever it is. So what would be that step that you'd have to retrain?
1: Yeah, that's kind of a deeper question in that, uh, you know, I like to try and tell people that they're really not after the sweet. They're really not after the the food product that they're, they're after a dopamine hit. They're after uh, a jolt to their nucleus accumbens, their brain chemicals. Because in the last five years, the science has really exploded to understand that uh, these these products, these sugar products, literally affect the brain reward systems exactly like uh, drugs of addiction, alcohol, uh, other drugs of addiction, alcohol and cocaine and whatever. And they've done studies inside of MRIs and the the brain lights up when they have these products. So what's happening to your friend is very similar to any other addict because you're associating, they call it triggers in our world, you're triggered to uh, have this, not the ingestion of the food, but actually the dopamine hit. You're looking to, to feel better. The brain, I heard this great line the other day, the brain doesn't care how it gets dopamine. It could be illicit sex, it could be gambling, it could be running it could be any way to get that dopamine hit and we've trained our brains since we were children literally our parents probably did it probably in the womb as early as the womb to like if we're feeling bad or anxious or distressed or whatever that we have some sugar, and now this is a subconscious pattern, like Pavlov's dogs, that is ingrained in us in all of society to just reach for this product when we're sitting on the couch instead of going for a run or a walk or a, uh, you know, getting a hug or whatever. We've we've trained ourselves that we just ingest this substance and we get this dopamine hit, right? And that's the. Part that people need, like an entire podcast, to kind of set up. They need to understand that the way out of this issue, if they have an issue or if they want to look at it, is to not so much think about the food, but think about how they were feeling just before they had the food. Like, were they anxious? Were they upset? Whatever. So, yeah, I mean, it's uh It truly is, like you describe, a trained. A response it's a, like the dogs it's a trained response which can be broken and that's exactly what has to you know it's like call it, tony robbins calls it a pattern interrupting you have to interrupt the pattern some way and then do something different
0: absolutely yeah i definitely think that one of the things that i have had to do myself is say to make a negative association with food mm-hmm. with sugar not with food but In the sense that I used to think, uh, and I'll tell you what happened to me when I was younger. My dad used to joke that my mom was so anti-sugar in our house Mm. that it made it where like he would say to me, oh, you've been really good today. You will get two M&Ms. That's Mm. what my mom would say. Like, you are good. You get two M&Ms. If right. you're good, you get three, you know, cause she was so like, sh- you can't have sugar. You can't have sugar and made it such a thing in our house. Now, all of a sudden I had in my mind, it was like, when I'm good, I get three M&Ms. I had to reprogram that mm-hmm. to say out of my mind, I need to say, oh, I did a great job today. I'm going to go get a massage or I'm going to go get a walk. And I know that when I start eating too many of this, it just makes me want more and more and more. And it's it's not good for my body. So I had to really retrain my brain in that.
1: Mm, Sure. Yeah. There's a guy we have this quit sugar summit every year and we introduced or interviewed this dentist from uh, uh, the Great Britain. And uh, he has a project, a nonprofit called the Rewards Project. And what it is real simple is to stop rewarding kids with sugar products for athletics and you know, scholarships and for, uh, for scholastic stuff. I mean, it, it's just a really crazy way to motivate children or to help them with their behavior. And so it's just, uh, you know, you do have to reprogram yourself and, and that's probably the most important part of getting off of sugar is to change those patterns and those programmings.
0: So I noticed myself, we're creating a prize table at our church Mm. for the elementary kids. And I said, name some prizes that I could put Kyle at the prize table. I said, what about like maybe a box of Skittles or, Mm. and I said, candy, that was my first reaction that came out of my mouth. And Mm. my son, who's nine years old, came back to me. He's like, mom, I don't understand you're doing like this sugar detox, nice. a sugar detox. And you're always talking about not wanting to get people on sugar. And now on the prize table, you're going to put Skittles. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh, son, I love you so much. You are the best son. Like I tell my son every day, you're everything I've ever wanted in a son and more. And wow. he really is. But I mean, imagine him coming back to me. Saying that to me, it's like, why would I put that on the price table? That doesn't make sense.
1: Well, I hope you're making huge changes in society. I mean, think about it now. The same thing would happen if you got in the car and didn't have your seatbelt on. He'd tell you mom, put your seatbelt on because now they understand it. And hopefully that translates into everyone doing that eventually. 10, 15 years from now, all kids, hopefully all parents will understand exactly what your son already understands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about just practical tips that you yeah. can give people uh, that say, okay, I really want to cut sugar down out of my diet. And and I want you to talk about it because some people, you know, I've interviewed over a thousand women and mm. there's tons of women who they can have three bites of sugar. It doesn't affect them and they can eat it. They're in full control. And, you know, they're fine. And for those people, I'm like, you know, go ahead and eat those three bites of sugar. It's not going to, it's not going to kill them. They're in great health. They're not overweight. So for people like that, I'm like, you know, great. If there are people out. So I want you to kind of talk about it on two perspectives. Yeah. One on some of those people who they are in control they and then I want you to talk about it for people who maybe are just they they realize I do have an addiction in this area
1: yeah no there's you know there's a lot of science that's coming up now and uh, about a third of the people are biochemically unable to ingest this product without craving more and having more and these track pretty closely to the the uh, obesity numbers like a third of people are overweight or or obese, excuse me, and a third are overweight and then a third are kind of normal. And The the second third we call harmful use, which is what you're describing, you know, Uh, people who they might be able to cut way back and then have a treat once in a while. But that first group, they definitely biochemically, uh, at least for now, until they get a year or so down the line, They can't ingest it without setting up cravings, right? So even like we're going to talk, I guess, about intermittent fasting combining. If you're just, you know, you're just always going to have that niggling, nasty feeling that you want more if you're ingesting it. And the further you get away from it, in other words, if you get 30, 60, 90 days in, those physical cravings disappear, And so you don't have them. Right. And a normal person like you're talking about, they can eat half a brownie, leave it on the plate, never think about it. You know, and so that's the difference biochemically with the folks and and the harmful use folks in the middle. They have just, you know, from society, from their parents, whatever, they've been trained to use sugar. And when they quit, they can, sometimes if they get a long enough period of absence, they start to understand how it was affecting them emotionally and, and you know, they, they, they get control of it, if you will. Those folks can go back to occasional use, right? And have a little bit. Um, so there are, there's these three camps and they're all, uh, they're all, they all have different ways of handling how they, how we get them off it.
0: So let's talk about if you're new to intermittent fasting, you, you haven't really done it yet before you're brand new and you want to cut sugar versus if someone's a trained like they've been doing intermittent fasting, maybe they've been eating in a six hour window for the last you know, year or so, let's talk about how they would do things differently by cutting sugar out of your diet.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great uh, differentiation that needs to be out there because, you know, we've done thousands of these detox and had people come in in various stages of intermittent fasting. And intermittent fasting is something people end up researching when they get to our programs as well. And so what we found is that folks that have never done intermittent fasting it doesn't mix well at the beginning to try and do intermittent fasting and get off sugar. It's you too need too much at one time. Too it? much at one time, right? It sets up binging. It just literally sets up bingeing because you're so long in the middle of withdrawals that this feeling that is really not hunger but it feels like hunger is really just cravings uh, that that just or you know, you know, grabs, reaches out and grabs you. So, but folks that have come in with an internet intermittent fasting program, but just can't in their windows stop using the sugar, those folks can continue, and 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 they can do the intermittent fasting. And on the other side, uh, a lot of our folks once they get ninety days or one hundred and twenty days, then they can they try intermittent fasting again. And it works fine. So it's that thing of when you come to like your program and you've never done it, then try and eat three square meals a day uh, for the first 90 days or 60 or 90 days, and then possibly try the intermittent fasting. It'll, It'll work much better.
0: Hey guys, I'm so excited. My new book, One Meal and a Tasting is out now. And if you order the book on Amazon, just the regular paperback edition, if you go in and make a review, you will get the audio book for free. Send a copy of your receipt to questions at chantaleraeway.com and you'll get the audio book right away. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just, it's like too overwhelming to try to cut so much at one time.
1: Yep. Yeah, people succeed. Go ahead. No, people succeed very well when they uh, come in with a program. And I've had I had a guy lost 100 pounds on keto and intermittent fasting had that window, but you know, he had about 60 more to lose. And then uh, he just, we we finally figured out the piece of why he kept going back to the sugar. And, uh, and he succeeded. So yeah, it's uh, very doable.
0: So let's talk about a continuous blood glucose monitor. I don't have diabetes, but I've got mine right here. I haven't eaten anything all day and I'm looking at mine. Normally I stay in the eighties Yeah. randomly. I mean, I haven't eaten one thing. I did have a cup of coffee, um, but it brought my blood sugars at 95, which is really high for me Mm. um, when I haven't eaten anything all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been, I think my cortisol is up. I've been running around like a chicken with my head cut off today and just go, go, one thing after another after another.
1: That'll do it. So
0: I think that kind of brought me up a little bit. Maybe my cortisol is kind of going crazy. Right. But let's talk about these kind of tips for me personally this blood glucose monitor has really, really helped me to cut back on my sugar because I'm constantly looking at it and saying, you know, I want to keep my blood sugar down. So I want to be really mindful of the carbs that I have and the sugars I have.
1: Yeah. I actually believe, we just did our Quit Sugar Summit, the year, you know, the January edition, and uh, we had two people, one from Levels Health and one from uh, NutriSense, uh, the The docs from there and the nutritionists in the docs and they sent me them. So I have been using one over the last month or so. Right. And it, I believe this thing changes the world, the continuous glucose monitor they, right now they're called invasive because they put the little filament on your arm or whatever. Uh, but when they, Amazon and Google are working on them so that they are just on your wrist or something. Um, hold on, let me just push this button. And those things are like, um I when I first tried it, like I haven't had sugar in you know 30 years. So I said, what do we got around the house? So I had a sweet potato, and you talk about your, you know, mine was exactly the same. Mine was 84, like I don't eat till what two or three in the afternoon, whatever. 84 the whole time, and then it goes up a little bit depending on what vegetable I have or whatever. But when I ate that sweet potato, it jacked to 184. That's a hundred points up. Right. And then the next time I did it, I experimented with oats and bananas, uh, bananas with oats. Right. It went to two twenty-eight. So we're talking like 150 points almost up. Right. And people, if they were to realize exactly what you were able to just show that on a continuous basis in real time, that they could see their blood sugar going up. And I can't even imagine Chantel what would happen if I ate a candy bar. It would probably be up over 300, you know, and and this this constant of the average American eating 20 plus teaspoons of sugar a day keeps you way in the in the 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 bad range up above 140 or 150 all the time, you know, and that creates the metabolic syndromes. It creates the diabetes, these kinds of things. And so having a continuous glucose monitor. You need a prescription in the united states but you can get it through some of these companies that are coming up um they have that covered through telemedicine you can get it um and as a biohacking tool as something that's um not preventative traditionally these things were used for type one and type two diabetics and uh so now the you know the biohackers and folks like you and i we want to know what's going on with our blood sugar and i think if people were wise to this little tool they would you know be much healthier i love those things and i think Me they're going too. to be huge
0: so i can i kind of zoomed in on mine but you yeah. see mine all day it's like yeah it was in the 80s and then all of a sudden you know it bumped up for no reason because i did actually i think maybe the coffee you know sometimes um you know coffee i don't i'm not a big coffee drinker i just have it sometimes And Mm -hmm. so every once in a while, I just say, I'm going to- Coffee
1: coffee. does, we've proven, and there is studies that it does jack the blood sugar a little bit.
0: Yeah, so I stay in the 80s, like somewhere in the 80s for the most part. But then if I have that coffee, like I guess it took me up to the 90 in the 90s. But I think that it really, I'm telling you, I can't say enough good things about this. And I'm actually having the CEO- on uh, this week. So oh, good. Blood sugar monitor that's going to tell people mm-hmm. how they can get it and what they can do. But I think it's a miracle. So what else can they do? Let's give people some real practical takeaways of some more practical things. Blood glucose monitors, one, what else?
1: Well, I think they have to realize and now remember, I come from an addiction background and I've been sober 35 years. I've helped many, many people get off of much harder drugs. And The thing that people are unwilling to accept is that they're unwilling to accept the possibility that they may have a little bit of an addiction to sugar. Um, Now think nicotine here, not heroin and alcohol and stuff. This is just something that um, biochemically, when you ingest it like a cigarette, you want another one and you need your, your, your craving. If people can get through the other side of the cravings, then it's fine, right? But the like we mentioned, that group of the third of people, uh, they're biochemically, when they ingest sugar, there's just this reaction in their body that they want and need more. And it's combination, like it's partially the brain chemicals, the dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, <clears throat> affected by the fructose, but it's also partially the blood sugar dysregulation that we've been talking about with the CGMs. It's like people end up... Uh, they get, a, they get a little bit of sugar, like they'll get up over 100 or 200 or 100 or 120, 130. And they'll, all of a sudden they're going to, the, the this neural pathway that's literally been grooved in their brain since they were a baby, uh, that they once they start to get this little bit of boost in blood sugar, then they're going to want more fructose, which will also you know hit the nucleus accumbens. They've actually slid people into MRIs. I mean, people can see the, the, the brain chemicals light up in their brains when they sip sugary beverages. So if people can just kind of accept the, I call buying into Mikey's little fantasy, the idea that they may have a little bit of an addiction to sugar, it's not just a bad habit, it's a little bit of an addiction, then they can usually, that's kind of the acceptance that they have to have, that level of acceptance. I once had, a, I still have, she's a coach of mine now. She was a Weight Watchers leader I mean, she, she went to Weight Watchers before it was legal with her mother at 16. She'd been doing it for 30, 20 some odd years. And uh, when she finally figured this all out, she had never been like, a, a, like a, in a right-sized body. And now she's like, whatever, 5'8", 125 or something like that. And she, That was the first time since high school. She, even in high school, she was never like that. And I said, what do you think, Bethany, made it, the difference? And she said, before I was above addiction, she had tried everything, you know? And so that's like the, the main thing. And there is a little bit of a stigma to it. People think it's a drunk under a bridge or whatever, but it's really, it's just a bad, bad habit that maybe it's slid into the possibility that physically, biochemically, you shouldn't be using this product.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that I think, you know, I've asked myself that question, you know, if sugar and flour are so addictive, Then, why is it that some people are able to stop themselves after just having half of a cookie or half of a brownie without going overboard? Because I believe that not everyone is equally susceptible to the addiction. And so, what I believe that really makes a big difference on that susceptibility scale, measuring like how, you know, are you going to go crazy and have so many? It's that. Part of it has to do with the how your body responds to the sugar. And mm-hmm. what made me wake up to this fact was that I looked at this blood glucose monitor because if you had that sweet potato and you said your blood sugar jumped up that high and somebody else had that sweet potato, theirs would not have jumped up that high When you, when your body responds to eating that sugar and it goes so high, then that is a big, big deal. And what I've done, you know, I know this sounds crazy, but when I I would go for lunches with some of my girlfriends, we'd have literally 10 girlfriends at lunch Mm. and I had all the different needles before I had the blood glucose monitor and I'd say, okay, everyone, Nobody eat anything until you get to lunch. So nobody ate anything. I would literally go around the table before lunch and I took everyone's blood. Of course, I took everybody's blood sugar and then I waited an hour and then I waited like 30 minutes. Then I also waited an hour and 20 minutes after they ate. Mm -hmm. And the skinniest girls at the table, no matter what they ate, their blood sugar was the lowest when they started (laughs) And they were the lowest uh, when they ended. And one mm. of the skinniest girls at the table, she literally had a Coke. She had a mm. Coke, okay? hmm And her blood sugar when she was done, and she had like a sandwich. I mean, it was like, chips a sandwich, you know, yeah, yeah. She was done with her blood sugar. Now she, she didn't eat that much. Of course, she probably had this much of the Coke. She had half of the sandwich. She had like five chips, you know, mm, right. but still it was just junkety junkity junk and her blood sugar. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was like 120 when she was. Right.
1: There. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> you know?
0: <laughs> and so I think that that has such a big impact of whether you decide that you can, have some of that sugar is really part of it has to do with, obviously it has, we have other issues. We've got our family of origin issues. We've got so many other pieces, but a big issue also has to do with what is your, what happens to you? What is your blood glucose doing when you eat that? Because if you, you go up and you're, you're at 220, Of course, when it comes down, you're going to want more and more and more and more.
1: Yeah, definitely. Everyone's individual for sure. There's, you know, and it'll affect different people different ways. Just like you said about your friend, that's definitely true. And that's what people, you know, they're not willing to be in the minority or majority. Probably in this case is that the majority of folks, these products do affect negatively. You know, there are a few outliers like your friend or whatever. Who can pretty much eat anything and and their their blood sugar stays the same? What company are you having on? What CEO?
0: You know, if you didn't just ask me that question, I could tell you. Name name the ones. you're Levels about. Health. Levels Health, yes. yeah. Yeah, they're good. Yes.
1: Yeah, yes. Doctor Casey means she, she yes. was on. Is that who you have on? Yes. Dr. Yeah, she's really good. You'll enjoy her. Your folks will enjoy her too, for sure. Yes.
0: So anything that I haven't asked you yet that you want listeners to
1: know wow what a great question i think what i was talking about the emotional part and the cleaving apart like a lot of people when they come to me they just want a food plan and an exercise plan they they come for the vanity and they stay for the sanity right Mm -hmm. they come because they think they need to lose weight but this is all about the brain chemicals this is all about the dopamine the serotonin I mean, they literally have SSRIs, serotonin selective serotonin reuptake uh, inhibitors, or whatever. These are chemicals that psychiatrists prescribe to try and make you feel better about yourself, right? Well, you we're self-medicating with 30, 40, uh, 20, 30, 40 teaspoons a day of this stuff, and basically the dose makes the poison. So what I want folks to know is I want them to know this new science, okay? This new science of, um, of brain rewards. And that when you're thinking about a sweet treat, you're not really thinking about a sweet treat. You're craving a dopamine hit. And the brain does not care. The brain will go to illicit sex, gambling. Uh, It will do anything to get its dopamine hit. it, It doesn't discriminate, okay? And when you've trained yourself since you were a child, probably your parents trained you, and in the womb, that when you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or sad or hurt, I mean, when was the last time you saw a movie where a girl broke up with someone didn't have an ice cream party, right? It's kind of a cultural norm. And so, like, if they, until people realize that getting off sugar is only about 10% about the food and 90% about how they react psychoactively, how, they, how their emotions are modified and managed by sugar, that's how they succeed. That's how they're going to win this game, okay? Um, So, yeah, I mean, one of the things we find, too, is the folks who succeed are a little bit of pioneers, like the people that do intermittent fasting. It's kind of a new thing. It's not the science is still developing, but they've done their research. They've actually tried it on their own body a little bit. Maybe they need a little help. Right. So if those folks are in your audience, they think they're a little bit uh, rebels. <laughs> they're they're not afraid to say the hell with you. I'm going to try this kind of thing. Those are the people that succeed. And hopefully as they succeed, they call them early adopters. As those people succeed, then more people will get the message. So.
0: And one thing I will say is this, is that, you know, I, I've interviewed over a thousand women who are thin and one thing I ask them, I say, Let's say you gain three or four pounds because anyone who, even if they're thin, they might raise three pounds, four pounds. Mm. If you want to lose that three to five pounds that you've gained, Every single one of them, (laughs) without a doubt, they always said, well, if I feel like I'm, you know, gained a little bit, the first thing I do is I cut back on any sugar that I'm eating. I cut back on the fruit. I cut back on the fructose. I cut back on any fruit or any sugar that I'm eating, if I want to lose weight, the first thing I do, and it's almost unanimous that all of them Mm -hmm. say that, whether they have a ton of sugar or not a sugar, they all say that as their number one
1: answer. I believe it for sure.
0: Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Tell listeners how they can find you, how they can follow you and what programs you have going on right now.
1: Sure, we're at sugaraddiction.com and uh, we do the Quit Sugar Summit in January and September every year. And if you just go to Quit Sugar, uh uh, summit, you can leave your email and we'll notify you when that comes up each year. But at sugaraddiction.com, there's a little book. Uh, it's on Amazon too, but you can get it free and download it at the website called The Last Resort Sugar Detox. And uh, we also have a 30 day challenge that is. We've had thousands of people go through. It's very successful. Uh, in I get a you know you get a video from me every day to guide you through the process because the process after doing thousands of them we can see what's going to happen on day three, five, seven, ten, all the way through the process, and you kind of got a little bit of a preview, and you've got a, also a community of support. We've got. 7,000 people in a, in a group, in a forum. We've got you know week, weekly, uh, nightly meetings on uh, Zoom. So you have this support structure that's there. And it just, in 30 days, you will know, you absolutely will know whether or not, uh, you know, sh- sugar is an issue in your body and in your life. So check us out, sugaraddiction.com.
0: Awesome, I love it. Well, you guys stay tuned. We have another episode coming up in just a few. Bye-bye for now.